Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one thing I didn't mention in the bulletin, but I'll mention it now because uh, we're going to get into a sermon series called The Text. And uh, the idea is New Year began, if you didn't know, and maybe some of you have decided, this is the year I'm going to read through the Bible. And maybe you've thought that every year for the last several years, and then you hit, you know, Leviticus, and then you decide, well, I guess this isn't that important. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the things that... uh, we're trying to make available to you. And, and the whole sermon today, you'll hear some ideas and stuff. But in your bulletin, I've been, last week, I put in a reading plan. So if you got that last Sunday on January 3rd, you were three days behind. Um, sorry about that. But really only two because there's some grace days and stuff. Uh, but you have a chance to uh, read. We're only through Genesis 30. And then this reading plan also puts Job alongside Genesis. And uh, we're going to give you uh, ways to engage the scriptures. Now, why would we do that? Every single book I've read on spiritual growth, every single study I've seen, uh, every single pastor I've talked to, every single conference I've attended, when the subject of how to help people grow spiritually is discussed, the number one way to get people to grow spiritually is church attendance. No. Bible engagement, getting people into the Bible. And not just for an hour, and it's not even an hour, let's be honest. Um, You know, it's 30, 45 minutes that you get to hear me talk. Um, It's not, and even then, it's a little snippets of reading the scriptures here and there. The main way people grow spiritually is through Bible engagement, reading the scriptures, reading it by themselves reading it in groups, reading it corporately together in the church. And if you feel stuck spiritually, if you feel like you've plateaued, if you feel like you look and you see, I haven't grown much for a long time, or I haven't grown much last year, or as I take stock, I don't know if I'm growing, you need to evaluate yourself on that one thing. Am I engaged with the scriptures? Uh, today and for the next several weeks, and I haven't quite figured out how many more weeks we'll do this, but because uh, uh, I've got so many ideas floating around in my brain, because you might know this about me. I love the Bible. I love the scriptures. I love to think about it. I love to interact with it. I love to study it. I love to read it. I love to, uh, I, I, it's just something I enjoy. I love to memorize it. And I want to do all I can for the next several weeks to encourage you, to plead with you, to, to strong arm you if I have to, to figure out a way for each and every single one of you to interact and engage with the scriptures. And I'm not just talking about for the few moments we have together on Sundays. I'm talking about on your own. I'm talking about waking up each morning, having a plan, reading from your plan, giving it 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes, however long you can give to interacting with the scriptures. And that's my goal. So I'm going to be really transparent. So you, right away, you know what I'm talking about today. Okay. If anybody asks you, what are you talking about? Oh, he's trying to make us read the Bible. Okay. That's the answer. He's trying to make us read the Bible. 
Now, my main motivation for that is because I want you to grow spiritually. And they've actually demonstrated, uh, it was in a study that Willow Creek Church Commission, and Willow Creek, if you don't know, Willow Creek is an enormous church in Chicago. 20,000 people go there on a weekend. That's like 10 rays showing up to, to have church together. 20,000 people go to this church. And what they did was, and I commend them for this, several years ago, they did a study. They commissioned people to study them and to see if they were actually helping people grow spiritually. And you know what they found out? That young believers and people who are exploring Jesus Christ, they were helping them a lot. They were, they were helping them immensely, answering questions, uh, getting them plugged in and connected with other people. But as people matured in their faith, as people came to know Christ better, the church played a smaller role in their spiritual growth. The church played a smaller role in their spiritual growth. And this shocked them. And the, the driver of people's spiritual growth was was their Bible engagement, their prayer life, their listening to God, their interaction with other believers, whether it was in a small group. Most of it was small groups, not so much at the church level. And they were shocked. And the funny thing was, I didn't feel shocked when I read it. I'm like, of course, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense that the church would not play such a significant role in people growing spiritually as we get more mature. Now, it would still play a role in people's lives. I think one of the primary roles that this church plays as you mature in Christ is to equip you to minister to people. And that'll kick in a whole new growth cycle that you may or may not have experienced. But the number one way that they found in this survey that people grew was by engaging the scriptures. Now, I don't know about you. Does anybody have one of these things? A a phone? Actually, it's a smartphone. This thing is really smart. It knows where I'm at. It tracks me. Did you know that the president of the United States cannot have his own personal phone because it's impossible to secure him with it because you can always, somebody knows how to find him with these things? That's encouraging, right? (laughs) Somebody knows how to find you with this thing. Where is Steve Weinkoop? I don't know. Check his phone. It knows where I'm at. It gives me directions. Uh, it gives me headlines of stuff I care about. I, I can read about the Broncos anytime I want. Uh, it tells me when packages are going to be delivered to my house. It, it tells me all these amazing things. And, and, and it, to think it started out as just a simple communication device, a way to get in touch with people. And the primary means of getting away, getting in touch with people on my phone is What? text messages. I don't know about your phone, but that's my preferred way of interacting with people. I'm not much of a phone person. Um, I love text messages. You know, because like Marnie asked me, did you go to that thing yesterday? And my response was a why. (laughs) Not the word why, but why as in yes. Because text messages let you do that. And I think she understood. Um, sometimes I'll get asked a question and my answer will be N. No. Other people, I, my, they ask, hey, uh, is this going to work? And my answer is K. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> 
right? I mean, it's really awesome. The only thing that is irritating with these things and with text, text messages, and you might have experienced this, when you're having a conversation with somebody and they get that noise, ding, I mean, you can pick a bazillion different, you know, take me out of your pocket. Um, you can choose a lot of different sounds for these things. Whenever you have somebody and you're having a conversation with them and they get a text message, what do they do? They start looking at it. They check their text messages, right? Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but how many of you remember when you were having dinner at home with your family? And the corded dial, you know, the rotary phone would ring. And I remember as a kid, they would say, don't answer it. If it's important, they'll call back later, right? We didn't answer because we, they'd call back later. Some of you guys are like, what? That happened? A, a phone with a cord? Um, now, later in our lives, as we grew up, and the phone called, or somebody called during dinner, we would say, don't answer it. The answering machine will get it. There's a machine that answered your phone? Right? Some of you are like, huh, what? You poor kids, you've missed out on so much of life. <laughs> and nowadays, you don't even have to call people. Just ding. Oh, I've got a text message. And the reason that this thing is so enticing is because whenever you get a text message, you know it's somebody you know. You know, it might be an answer to a question you asked earlier or a conversation. My brother and I have conversations that span for days. Not because we have so much to say, but because I asked him a question last Sunday and he answers me on Saturday. <laughs> right? Imagine a phone conversation like that. Hey, how you doing? You know, the wait music goes on. <laughs> but with this, you always think maybe Lee is finally getting back to me. Uh, maybe I am going to get that answer from the elders that I'm looking for. Maybe I'm going to get my wife. Ooh, my wife. She might be checking in. My kids. My, my daughter's driving. I better check this. You know, not by herself, thank God. But she is driving with me. Oh, I got him. <laughs> now, the interesting thing with text messages. <laughs> if you have, I'm going to turn this thing off. The interesting thing with text messages, <laughs> that was a good one. It says, hurry up. <laughs> By the way, I leave this in my office most Sundays, just so you know. That's like when Malcolm McLean, Malcolm McLean, if you know Malcolm McLean, bless his heart. He, at the Presbyterian Church, he always wanted to build a trap door underneath the, the preacher so that when it got too long, just press a button or pull a lever and, and it would end. I guess now you can text me. Hurry up. Um, that was funny. It's cruel, but funny. Um, did you notice I checked that message right when it came through? <laughs> Proves the point. Now, if I was smart enough, I would have planned that in advance. But I didn't. We check our messages. And did you notice that when you ask somebody about your text messages, you don't ask them, did you read my text? What do you ask? Did you get my text? Why? Because you assume that if they got it, they read it. And if they didn't get it, well, obviously they didn't read it. 
The interesting thing is, now, part of why we do this is because it's, it's important, it's relevant, it's somebody we know, it's somebody we love, it's somebody we care about. There might be information that's really important, like, Steve, hurry it up. <laughs> right? I should let you send questions to me through that. <laughs> let me suggest to you that this book here is a really long text message to you. And the reason I want to talk about it as a text message is because it's important, it's relevant, it's, it's pertinent, it's got things to speak into your life that you need to know now, and it's by somebody who loves and cares about you immensely. And yet, tons of these things, tons of these Bibles sit on shelves collecting dust. Now, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're just checking this Christian stuff out, this is a great Sunday for you to be here. And the next several Sundays are great Sundays for you to be here. If you are new to this in that you've, you've recently become a Christian, I heard a story about a young lady who became a Christian this week. If you've become a Christian recently, this is a great week and the next several weeks are great weeks for you to be here. If you are an old curmudgeon Christian, Look it up on your smartphone, curmudgeon <laughs> These are great weeks for you to be here. Because this book is so important, so viable, so relevant, so necessary for you, for me. And we need to avail ourselves to it. We need to engage with it. So you might have noticed that I work really hard to try to make it interesting for you. Now, honestly, here's a, here's a dirty little secret of pastors. You don't have to work that hard to make it interesting. You don't have to work that hard to make it relevant. You don't have to, make it, you don't have to work that hard to make it speak into our lives because that's how it's designed. That's what it's supposed to do. But somehow, Bible scholars and preachers and all of us, we, 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 there's things we do sometimes to make this thing dull boring, difficult, hard. You know, some of the objections I'm going to get to not reading the Bible is going to be, well, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. And partly why I wanted to use the, the thing with text messages is I've never, ever, ever heard anybody say, did you get my text? Well, I got it, but I didn't read it because I'm not a reader. You're not a reader, huh? That's interesting. You see, you and I read all the time. We read text messages. We read stuff online. We read the paper. We read magazines. We read all the time. You see, what people mean is, well, it's hard to understand. It's hard to read. It's hard to read this. And by the way, that's, that's another poor excuse. And if you heard these excuses come out of your mouth, I'm really sorry. I'm stepping on your toes. It needs to be done. You know, should we just quit doing things that are hard then? Should we just quit doing hard things? I, I think fixing a diesel semi-truck is hard. Never done it. Because it would be really hard for me because I've never done it. Some of you, it's super easy. You know, there's things... That used to be hard to you, but you've gotten used to doing it so long that it's no longer hard. You've trained yourself. 
you've learned, you've grown, you've developed, you've got experience. You availed yourself to helps, to mentors, to people, to information that helped you along. And now it's no longer hard. It's easier. You know what's hard? Making choices in your teens or your 20s that haunt you in your 30s and 40s and 50s. You know what's hard? Managing your finances in such a way that you live paycheck to paycheck. You know it's hard? Being stuck in a marriage that you never should have entered into. You know it's hard? In-laws of that marriage <laughs> that you have never should have entered into. And did you know that this book can help you navigate all of those hard issues? You see, I'm one of those weirdos. My wife has told me I'm weird lots of times. Start when we were first dating. I was a weirdo because I grew up in the church. And not only did I just occupy a space in church, when I was in junior high, I started the discipline of reading the Bible in junior high. I started simple and easy. I started reading a proverb a day. Why? Because my youth pastor told me, hey, stupid, you could use some wisdom. Read a proverb a day. Okay. Did I believe it whenever I read it? No. In fact, do you believe everything you read? Some of you, that's going to be your objection. I'm not going to read it because I don't believe it. Do you believe everything you read in the Ray Gazette? Do you believe everything you read in the Yuma Pioneer? Do you believe everything you read in the Denver Post? You believe everything you read in anything you read. If that's the criteria for you to decide whether you're going to read something or not, you're probably not a reader. I don't even believe most of the stuff in the text messages I get. <laughs> Definitely not believe stuff I read on Facebook. Do you believe things before you read them? Or do you read and evaluate? You see... I started reading this when I was a junior higher. And what started to transform and change my life was I started to let this shape my thinking. Let it start influencing my life. When I was in high school, I started to, to, to take steps to read other things outside of the Proverbs. I started reading the New Testament, started reading the Old Testament, started to get bored in parts of it, didn't understand what was going on, started to have lots of questions that I would bug my youth pastor with. And now I am 46 years old, 47 years old. I'm too old, <laughs> right? I am living the blessings of reading this. Now, I'm not saying I've made every single wise decision that this told me to make along the way. There were times that I blew it off. There were times I chose poorly. There were times I chose against this. There were times I didn't listen. There was times in my life that I went through dry seasons. And I didn't pick it up. But for the most part, I am living the blessings out of being a person who studied this. And you can too. You can even start today if you haven't already. Now, I want to show you some of the power of this book. And we're going to look at Psalm 119. Now, if you aren't very familiar with this book, notice where I am. About the middle. 
You see, this book is a weird book. We're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks because it's not really a book. It's a collection of books. It's more like a library. The way it was first encountered by people, the way that Jesus would have encountered it, it would have been more of a library. The way that the, the ancient Jews, and we're going to look at one today, we're going to look at King David, the way that they experienced this book was not like this. It was scrolls. And if you had a scroll, a Torah scroll, that in, included the entire Old Testament, that thing would have been 150 feet long. It's not just something you pick up and carry with you, and I'm going to have my quiet time now. They say it took an entire herd of sheep's skin to create one Torah, complete Torah roll. And when they encountered this, they often had smaller scrolls. Because that made sense. They would have a Genesis scroll, an Exodus scroll. But sometimes they'd have the whole thing. And we're going to look at its particular psalm. And what I want to show you is that this book of Psalms is about right dab in the middle. If you don't know where Psalms is, grab your Bible and open it up in the middle. And by the way, can I encourage you? Bring your Bible. Yeah, I know. We put them on the screen. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm enabling you. I've actually learned of churches recently that are, are hipper and cooler and better than ours. And they've quit putting the words on the screen. Do you know why? Because they want the people to bring their Bibles. I've been tempted to do that. Plus, I want to be hipper and cooler than I am. Um, that's not going to help, is it? <laughs> Don't text me about that. Um, need to shut this off. Bout in the middle is Psalms. And Psalm 119 is a really long psalm. We're going to start in verse 97. See, I told you it's hard, Steve. 97 verses. Well, it's going to get better. You're going to like it. Psalm 119, verse 97. Some think this this was written by Ezra. I think it was written by King David. Hear what he says. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. (laughs) That's a weird verse. I mean, right away you can go, see, this is why I don't read it. That's just weird. Now, before I talk much more about these verses, I want to get you caught up to what's going on for David. What is the law? What does David have that's the Bible to read in his day? Well, he most likely had the first seven books of the Torah. It's called the Pentateuch. Actually, the first five, and there's a couple extra that are historical books. You'll learn that later. He had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Okay, those are probably the ones he had. That's all. That's all that King David had to read as the Bible. And when he says, I love your law, he's referring to those few books. And do you know how long ago those books were written before David got them? Hundreds of years before he lived. The reason I want to share that with you is because when you pick up the Bible to read it, where do you begin? Now, some of you, you begin in Genesis. If you've kept trying over and over and over to read it, you know to skip to Matthew and start there. Right? But David, 
He's referring to Genesis. He's referring to his first seven books. How do I know that? Because Psalms hadn't been, he's writing this book. This one doesn't exist yet. He's writing it. And some of the other books, he's the main character. They're not available in book form yet. It's being lived. And it's hundreds of years before he lived. And the reason that that's important is because sometimes people object and go, well, it's old. How could it be relevant? It's an old book. It's, it's distant. It's weird. It's hard to understand. It's old. And here David begins this part, portion of this psalm out by saying, oh, how I love your law. Now, why? Why would he say this? Well, let's keep listening. It is my meditation all the day. When I was studying this, one of the questions I asked myself is, what do I meditate upon all day long? What do I think about all day? This is the king, by the way. This is King David. He's writing this as the king of Israel. He is in charge of a whole country. And he's saying that as he encounters all the day-to-day busyness of being a king of an entire nation, the thing that is occupying his thoughts, the thing that is helping address the problems and issues and trials and all this stuff that he runs into, the one thing that is in his mind is what? The first seven books of the Bible, the law. And I think, boy, I've got 66 whole books to think about. And what do I spend my time thinking about? Did you hear that song that we sang today? Today's the day. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you sang it for the first time today. Did you notice all the things you said? You won't worry about tomorrow. How many of you worry is what fills your mind all day long? You see, how does that happen? How do we push worry out? It's by meditating on God's word. Let's keep reading. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Well, who doesn't want that? Everybody wants to be wiser. I mean, I want to be wiser. My friends and my enemies would be way cool, right? And David's saying, reading these seven letters, these seven, they're not letters, these seven books makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Some of you kids are going, ain't that the truth? It's like that T-shirt. And then Satan said, let's make algebra. You know, I, I like that shirt. I think Satan is the orient. Uh, no, just kidding. That's bad theology. Anyways, what is David saying? He's saying, because I meditate on this, because I know this book, because I know those first seven books, that it makes me wiser. It makes me wiser beyond my years. I know things that a young punk, snot-nosed kid wouldn't necessarily know because I read and avail myself to this book. He goes on and says, uh, I lost my spot. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. He obeys what he reads in here. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Who has taught him? Who has taught him? This is a prayer. You know how many times people say, I wish God would just tell me what to do. I wish I just had a direct pipeline where God would tell me stuff. 
you know, there are people that try to find that. There are churches that kind of encourage that. You know, God told me to tell you kind of stuff. God has this word for you today. And I could couch all my teaching in that way, and it would sound way more authoritative than how I choose to do it. But it could also be manipulative. And one of the beauties of this Bible is we know this is from God. And we know that if we will avail ourselves to it and discipline ourselves to read it, then here, according to Psalm 119, David says, who's teaching us as we read it? God. And if you have spent any time in this book, you know what he's talking about. You know there are times in your life where you're like, I've got this issue. I've got this problem. I've got this crisis. I've got this conflict. I've got these feelings. And you pick it up and you read it and you go, oh, have they been reading my mail? How did they know? And the reason they knew was it was from God. You see, this is why this is such a huge part to our spiritual growth, because most of us will avail ourselves to prayer. Why? Because we want stuff and we need stuff. And we have other people that want stuff and need stuff, like change. They need to be changed, right? And so we will pray. Lord, help me, fix me, do this for me. How many of you prayed that you would win the Mega Millions lottery? No. I heard, I, I don't think anybody's won. $900 million. $3 billion? $1.3 billion. So I'm going to probably buy a ticket now. I'll break down and buy one. Because I can't do math, and it's a tax on people who can't do math. That's what the lotto is. But if you do win and you go to our church, we would appreciate a gift. (laughs) Now, we know where you live. Um, At least now, you'll probably move away. But um, how many of you pray that God will help you, bless you, fix you, keep you, change them? I mean, we do that. But do we avail ourselves to hearing from God? You see, there could be a lot of wisdom and insight that would fix you, help you, change them, change you, that is available at your fingertips. It's right there. You know, there's a lot of times I've heard after a sermon, man, that was a really great sermon. I think, I think they're just trying to make me feel better. But I've heard from people, man, I didn't, how did you see that in there? Where did you find that? And I'm like, I've been reading this since I was in junior high. I've been reading people writing about this thing since I was a young man, and I haven't stopped. I've been interacting and reading and thinking about this. I've been meditating on this. And when I hear that, I think you could have learned it yourself a long time ago. It's in there. It was sitting there right before us to read. And David says, God is teaching him in this book. Now, if that's not motivation to read your Bible, I don't know what is. If you are just exploring God and who he is and you want to learn about God, this is a place to start. If you 
are a young person and you need insight on what your future is and what God is wanting you to do and how he's put you together, it's not going to just magically pop out of the text, but there are principles that you can read in this that will help you make wiser, better choices now in your youth that won't haunt you as you're older. Right, old people? If you're an old person, if you've been following Jesus for a while, this can be a place of solace, strength, encouragement, power. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Let's keep reading. Let's see here. I'll just read off that. Okay, there we go. That's what I thought. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Who doesn't like honey? Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And then listen to this. This has been put into a song. Remember this when I was a kid. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's a fascinating comment about a text That was hundreds of years old at the time that that guy wrote that. Think about it. And think about the material he had to work with. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I mean, he didn't even have the Psalms. He didn't have Proverbs. He didn't have the Song of Songs. And if you want an exciting read, start there. He didn't have so much of what we have. And yet he is saying, I meditate upon it. It transforms my life. It gives me insight and wisdom beyond my years. And if David could write that about those first seven books of the Bible, you know, the ones that we struggle to read and understand, imagine what he would say about all we have to read today. So why don't we read? What stops us? What makes it difficult for you to read? Now, next few weeks, I'm going to try to give you tools and understanding and knowledge and insight and help as best I can on what this library is and how it functions and what it is and how it's put together and how we got it and why it's important and is it authoritative and is it trustworthy and all that stuff. I'm going to do my best to just give like a fire hose of information about the Bible. If you want to get wet with that info, be sure to be here the next several weeks. But what I want to do now is I want to show you a video. There's a thing called the Bible Project. And what they've done is they have a website, and it's on our church's website. It's under resources. And you go to our church website, and there's about, I don't know, I think I've got five, six, seven different Bible reading plans on there that you can choose from. And this is one that I think is really cool. And the reason it's really cool, well, I'll just let the video talk instead of me. We know that the Bible is long and for many people an intimidating book. 
But we believe that the entire thing is telling one unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so we want to help you learn how to read the Bible as you actually read through the entire thing for yourself. So the Read Scripture experience is, first of all, a reading plan that has broken up the story of the Bible into 16 chapters. Now, we've rearranged the order of some of the books to help you see how this overall story works and how each book contributes to it. So we begin with creation of the world and the fall of humanity which leads to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family, the people of Israel. Then you come to God's rescue of Israel in the exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the covenant God makes with them at Mount Sinai. From there, God leads Israel through the wilderness and then into the promised land, where Israel grows into a nation and breaks the covenant. And so this flows into the rise and the fall of Israel's kingdom, which ends with Israel being exiled from the land. Now, the story pauses right here, and you'll read through the poetry of the prophets who lived before Israel's exile, and also of the wisdom writings that reflect on this part of the story as well. After this, the story will pick up again, and you'll read the writings of the prophets who lived during the exile, then about the return of Israel from exile, and the writings of the prophets who lived after the exile. You'll conclude the Old Testament with the book of Chronicles. It's a summary of the story so far and how it all points forward to Jesus. And finally, we come to Jesus himself and his announcement of the kingdom of God, which is then followed by the letters of the apostles to the people of Jesus's kingdom. Finally, we'll conclude the entire biblical story with the revelation, a poetic vision of Jesus's return and the healing of all creation. Now, each of these 16 chapters has a number of reading sessions it will take to complete it. Some of these are shorter, others are longer. And if you take just 15 to 20 minutes a day to complete each session, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in less than a year. Now, even with this map, many books of the Bible are really confusing. It's very easy to get lost. And so when you start each new book of the Bible, you'll be able to watch a short video that lays out that book's structure and flow of thought, and it'll give you tips about what kinds of things to look for as you read. But also, every book contributes to the overall story of the Bible as well. And so we'll have theme videos placed at strategic points in the reading plan to help you see how the part of the Bible you're reading at the moment fits into that larger story. Finally, each day's reading session includes a psalm, because we believe that reading the Bible is not just an intellectual experience, but also spiritual. And so we invite you to take the year to develop the daily habit of praying through the psalms. And by the end of the year, you'll have prayed through the whole book of psalms two and a half times. Our hope is that the Read Scripture experience will help you read through the entire Bible with greater understanding than you ever have before. So you can see for yourself the beauty and the wisdom of this ancient story that points us to Jesus. That's available for you. It's online. It's free. I didn't have to pay them a dime. Tell you what, when I was a kid in junior high, high school, I would have loved to have had YouTube and videos I could watch that would lay out, here's what's happening in Genesis, here's what's going on in Exodus, here's what's going on. I mean, the tools that are available to you and I are just mind-boggling. In the next few days, the next few weeks in church, we're going to see just how mind-boggling, how blessed, and how amazing we are. But last thing I want to say, since 2006, Marnie and I have been supporting a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. We are criminals in a bunch of different countries. 
because Marnie and I and our kids through us have been smuggling Bibles into parts of the world that it is illegal to have it. And we have helped get 590 Bibles smuggled into countries around the world since 2006. This is a dangerous book. This is a powerful book. It is God's words, his text message to you. Take it up and read. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you saw fit to bring us your word, to preserve it, to allow it to be translated into our heart language so we could read it and understand it, and not just one translation, but a lot of translations. Thank you for the scholarship that is represented in these translations, the men and women who taught themselves and learned Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and helped us be able to sit and read this. And I pray, Father, that your word would go forth in this world and people would come to know Jesus Christ and come to know the hope that is contained in your words in this book. And we pray that we who are so blessed and so free and so able to sit and read whenever we want, would do so. Father, impress upon our hearts just the immense opportunity that is in front of us. Challenge us, Holy Spirit, hound us to read your words. We thank you, we love you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you read the words of God. May you sit at his feet and learn. Amen.